we're going to look at Scripture. We're going to look at God's Word together. And I, you know I like us to stand as we hear our Father's Word. We're going to look at a great text throughout this Advent season. The Gospel of John, chapter 1. We've been hearing it sung. We've been thinking about it all morning. Now let us see it in our Father's Word. John, chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. And let us always remember that this indeed is the Word of God. In the beginning... In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life. And that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. But the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. And he was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, nor of a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning Him. He cries out, saying, This was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God But God, the the one and only, the one who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. And this is the word of God. Thanks be to God. As we begin our Advent season here at Lake Avenue Church, I have to tell you, as, as pastor, I am concerned about two groups of you. Would you like to know which groups I'm concerned about? (laughs) First of all, I'm concerned for many of those perhaps who haven't had a long history in the church. Perhaps for some reason you've started coming. You found something that you find to be good, uh, hope-filled about coming to church. And especially at this time of year, as we have this Advent, Christmas season, uh, you come into church hoping to know a little bit more about things that are eternal 
about God himself. I'll tell you why I'm concerned, because I think so many times, because of the culture, the world that you and I live in, we become so confused at this time of year. It is amazing to me how our, our world, all the, the programs we see on TV, all the music that we hear in the malls, creates this incredible uh, confusion about Christmas at this time of year. People can hardly distinguish between the biblical story of Christmas and the Santa Claus saga. Do you know that? And it, it, it's almost like the whole thing. It, it seems sort of spiritual and and peace-filled and good, but it's just also confusing, right? If you don't believe me, I think you do, but if you don't believe me, I just pulled out one song, just one song. Just look at this. You probably know the first stanza, but I want you to see a couple of the others. Here comes Santa Claus. Here comes Santa Claus, right down Santa Claus Lane. He doesn't care if you're rich or poor. He loves you just the same. Santa Claus knows we're all God's children. That makes everything right. I didn't want to put the rest because just look at that. He knows we're all God's children and that's what makes everything right. So fill your hearts with Christmas cheer because Santa Claus comes tonight. And then the next one. Here comes Santa Claus right down Santa Claus Lane. He'll come around when the chimes ring out that it's Christmas morn again. Peace on earth will come to all if we just follow the light. So let's give thanks to the Lord above, because Santa Claus comes tonight. <laughs> I just, it sounds so spiritual somehow. I mean, God is mentioned there, and, and the Lord above. Is, is, it all sounds so wonderful. But do you see why I would be concerned for many who, who don't have a clear understanding of the Christmas story? Why it could be that you would come to church and you wonder now, do I get a good story about reindeer or, or mistletoe or what, what is this all about? I, I really feel deeply. And, and I believe that as pastor and I believe as a part of a church like this, when you come into a church at this time of year, what you should expect is a clear presentation of what Christmas is really about. I think I would let you down. I think I would be doing you a disservice if I didn't take this opportunity to nail down the message that even makes a church like this possible. The, the very reason for our gathering. So that's one group that I'm concerned about. Now, who are the others? Uh, the other group I, I understand all too well because I'm a part of it. Because so many of us have heard this story and have celebrated Christmas and Advent again and again and again. Uh, this is my first time to get to do it with you at Lake Avenue Church. And yet I'm quite sure you have heard many preachers and pastors preaching Christmas messages over and over again. Do you remember what Machiavelli said in the priest? He said that which in, in the prince, he said that which is common is vile. That which is common is vile. In other words, if you just hear it over and over and over again, you just take it for granted. It's like developing a callus on your hand. Almost nothing can break through it. In other words, if we experience something too often, we may no longer be thrilled, even if it's the most thrilling thing in the world. And I wonder what the many, many times of us celebrating Christmas have done to so many of us who are here and who are longtime churchgoers. I have wondered whether it might even be possible for us to be thrilled again about this message. 
God, the one who made everything, became a man. The creator somehow entered into the creation and that this one loves me and gave his life for me. This is a person that, with whom I can have a relationship. You know, in the, in the first group that I'm concerned about, uh, I, I'm concerned about the fact that you get confused by this sort of general secularized Christmas culture. But I have wondered if we haven't also had some sort of a domesticated church Christmas culture. That sort of has domesticated this powerful message of God invading this world on a, on a rescue mission to transform lives. We've turned it into sort of just a sweet little story of a child who would never cry in a manger. Is it possible? Do you, do you think? Well, I have some goals as pastor this year that maybe, maybe we can see clearly the message of Christmas again. And maybe some of us who have heard it so often can be thrilled by the message again. See God as we've never seen him before. Hear the story again for the first time. That's why I thought about it. Hear the story again, but really as if it were the very first time. And I've been writing in some of the things I've written about this marvelous section in C.S. Lewis's Prince Caspian. I'll just have to do it from the pulpit because I don't want you to miss it in case you don't read what I write to you. Uh, it's children's story. And one of the children, Lucy, goes back into that other world of Narnia. And when she goes back again, she sees Aslan, the lion, the lion, the, the Christ figure. She sees him again. And this wonderful story in which which Lucy comes to him and hears this. Welcome, child. Says Aslan. Aslan. Says Lucy, you're bigger. That is because you are older, little one. Not because you are. I am not. But every year you grow, you find me bigger. All right, my brothers and sisters, does that story sort of resonate deep inside of you? Do you sense that there's something that should be true about that? That every year as you and I grow to become more of what God would have us to be, that we come back into this place and celebrate Advent and what we see is a God who is bigger than anything we could have ever imagined and still loves us. It is my deepest longing this Advent, this Advent season to sort of get our attention again. I long for all of us in our hearts to, to, to be reacquainted with that first wow factor. You know what I mean? That wow factor that should be here at the Christmas season. I want us to hear it in such a way that, that we will have the awe again and the gratitude that comes from realizing that God became a man. And he came for me. And I know him. And I think that the Apostle John can help us. You're going to notice my first year here, I'm not going to be focusing on the usual Christmas stories of, of the shepherds and, and, and angels and the, and the magi. Well, we're going to get to those if God gives us grace to worship together. Over the, but I wanted to start somewhere else because the Apostle John was another one of the apostles who wrote the story of Christmas. And, and in many ways, I think we can understand where he's coming from because John had met Jesus as a young man. And then he'd seen him. 
Uh, he'd seen Jesus walking the, the hillsides of Galilee. He'd heard him teaching, amazing teaching. He'd seen miracles. He had seen him rejected. He'd seen him hanging on a cross. Afterwards, he had met him as the risen Lord. Then as an old man, maybe older than any of us. Well, not, not than any of many of us here. John sits down and he wants to write a story. Uh, why does he write it? Uh, he'll say later on in his book, these things I'm writing so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the, the son of the living God. And that so that believing on him, you may have life. You, you can live through his name. Here's what I hear him saying. I, I want to tell you the story of somebody who changed my life. I've known him a long time because I know he can change your life, too. But where do you begin? Where, where do you begin a story like that? How, how would we start a story? Wouldn't we start at something like, well, uh, he was born in... 1960 in Glendale, California. Wouldn't we start something like that? But John knows that even though Jesus was born at a certain place in Bethlehem and was born through the agency of a young woman named Mary, that Jesus was bigger than that. That Jesus was bigger than that. And so what John does, musicians, listen to me now because you'll tune in. What John does is what so many of the great writers of operas have done. Starting back with the 19th century, a man named Karl Maria von Weber started writing overtures to, to uh, operas. And in that overture, you would have the motifs and the themes of the entire opera sounded. So that if you listen carefully to that overture, you know what's coming. You know what's coming. Well, long before any of the great opera writers ever did that, John thought, this is how I start. This is how I start. With this beautiful prologue that I've just read to you, John 1, 1 to 18, in which he gives us all the themes about this Jesus, about whom we're going to be hearing. He tells us who he was. He tells us what he did. He tells us what he's going to do. And he tells us what we he can do in our lives. If only you and I will let him. So this um, Advent season, all four weeks, and I hope you'll come back again and again. This Advent season, we are simply going to look at these 18 verses and try to see Jesus again. Are you ready? Are you ready? It's not going to be easy. Children can understand it, but sometimes we adults can't. We'll also see that John, though he wrote the simplest Greek in the entire Bible, thought profoundly. And he wrote it, I am sure, Hoping that people wouldn't read it just once, but again and again and again. And each time we look at it, I think we're going to see something new. Today, we're only going to look at the first two verses. And what John says is, if you're going to understand Christmas, you must begin before the beginning. Now, you don't seem as astounded by that nine o'clock people as you should be. If you're going to understand Christmas, he says, you have to begin even before the beginning. And to try to nail it down, there are three statements about Jesus that John uses. Number one, who is this one who was born in a manger? Number one, he is, John calls him, you see it, John 1, 1, the word. He is the word. Uh, the Greek word is the logos, 
Now, again, imagine you've never read the Gospel of John before. Do you have it in front of you there? The story begins. John introduces us to somebody he simply calls the Word and then starts telling us something about him. In him was life. And he can bring life and light to people. He shines in the darkness to anyone who believes in him. He will give the right to become children of God. But do you see that he never tells us his name until... Look down through your Bible. We don't even see the name of this person until... Oh, where is it? We don't even see him until verse 17. (laughs) Instead, we read all of these incredible things about him. Who he is and what he can do. Until in verse 17, he says, this word is Jesus. He calls him the word and it makes us, it forces us, if we're going to understand Jesus, to think about why does he do that? Why, Why does the Bible call Jesus the word and take so long making us reflect on that? Well, let me tell you something. John, as one of those great ancient Jewish storytellers, simply knows how to use language. In fact, I would encourage you this Christmas season to read throughout the entire Gospel of John, and you'll see he'll take simple words, and it's almost like you have to keep looking at it in different ways to understand it. Words like life and light and love. And and one of the things that he talks about is this notion of word. Now, what does he mean by calling Jesus a word? All right. I'm looking to see. I can't see up in the balcony. I'm going to give you a little quiz this morning. Lock the doors so that people can't go out. There are three possibilities, multiple choice. What did, Jesus, what did he mean? Number one, could it be that in calling Jesus the word, he is saying that Jesus is somebody who communicates, who communicates Something to us. Similar to our English notion of word, we use words to try to communicate something that's inside. So Jesus is the word communicating something to us. You know, every Sunday morning, that's what I try to do. I have all of these things inside of me. I, w- I want you to know. I have all these thoughts resonating inside of me. I long to somehow pass them on to you. What do I use to try with, with all my limitations as a human being, what do I use to try to communicate that to you? I'm using words right now. Now, do they get from me to you? Do they get from my mouth through your ears and down into your heart? I don't know. But words are gifts from God to us as human beings made in his image to communicate something very important. Could it be that what the Bible is saying is this? There is a God in this world. And you cannot see him, but God is. And if you're going to understand this world, you need to know God. And if you ask, how do I know him? We need somebody who knows him to speak to us. Could it be that he's saying that this one that I'm going to tell you about is the one and only person who can introduce you to God? Look at verse 18. No one has ever seen God at any time, except one. God, the one and only, the only begotten Son. He has made him known. Some of you are already ready to vote for that, aren't you? Possibility number two. Logos. Very similar to the word logic. 
And in the first century, many people used that word to talk about whatever it is in this world that makes sense out of this otherwise chaotic world. That everything can be in disorder, and yet there must be something that can make sense out of this otherwise irrational and senseless world. And what they said, this search for something that can make sense out of this world was a search for a logos. Something that can help, something that seems illogical when it happens, actually to be logical. If that's true, John might be saying that in this world where there's so much evil, so much pain, so much suffering, things that happen in your individual life, things that happen in your marriage or in your family that make no sense, there is someone who can begin to help you make sense out of the world. And let me tell you about him. Is that possible? I'll be pointing this out several times throughout the time. But do you see how John begins the letter? Look at verse 1. In the beginning. You know, don't you, that this isn't the only book in the Bible that starts that way? What a, the book of Genesis begins that way. And you remember before God spoke, the world was without form and was void. And then as God spoke, things started to take order, started to make sense. In that, in our individual lives, someone has come into the sin-filled, imperfect world to make sense out of our world for us. So which one is it? Is it that he communicates God to us? Or is it that this one that I'm going to tell you the story about can help you make sense out of a senseless world? Well, let me give you a third option. All right. That which creates. Now, John was a Jewish man. This was a very Jewish way of looking at this notion of logos or at word, because going back to the book of Genesis in the beginning, God created. But how did God create? He spoke and God said, let there be. And it was. Could it be that John is sort of doing a commentary on the book of Genesis saying, listen to me now, that one who spoke was not simply a force, that word but a person who eternally was with God. And in the light of that, in a, in a world where things in our lives need to be recreated, the creator has come so that there is hope. All right, my quiz is just about ready to be put to you. Which of those three do you think it might be? I'm going to tell you a story, John says, of the one who was the word. Is he the one who makes God known to you when you meet him? Is he the one, second, who can make sense out of your world and without him this world will seem hopeless? Or is he the one who created and thus can recreate you? Which one do you think it is? Oh, this is a way too smart a group. I'm gonna, I am going to put a D all of the above that is there. See, this is what is so thrilling about reading the scriptures and reading the gospel of John. That when you look at that and when you take time to think about it and reflect on it and chew on it, you say, wow, that's who Jesus is. That's the one whose birth we celebrate. That's the one to whom I want to give my life. That's the one I want to tell my neighbors about. It's the first thing that John wants us to see. When you celebrate Christmas, you're not simply celebrating something about a, a Santa Claus who comes on the top of a roof. We are thinking about the one who was and is the Word. 
Now, we'll have to go more quickly, and we will. Second, John wants us to know that he is eternal. I come back to that phrase. In the beginning. That's, that's how John begins his story of Jesus. I, you always think beginning is a good place to start. But John says, no, it isn't. In the beginning was already something else. In the beginning, there was something, someone even before the beginning. This is parents who still have children at home. Uh, isn't this a question that the children at some point in their question, uh, lives ask, when did God begin? Uh, I'm glad I don't have to answer that to my children anymore. At least I don't think so. Uh, parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, can you still remember the day when you asked that question? I still think it would do us well to ask that question again. When did God begin? And it's impossible to answer because we are creatures confined to time and space. We can't even think about a time when there was no time, can we? Mind is boggled at such a thing. But what the Bible is telling us is that when time began and when the world began, when material things came into existence, was already this word. And that has so many implications. But because of our time, I'll just draw out one. It means that this one whom we are going to celebrate is not confined by the limitations that we experience in this world. And we need to know that. When, um, when I was a pastor in the Chicago area, I kept having to come to grips with the reality that so many of our people were continuing to wrestle with addictions and almost hopelessness having been to church many times, having been to counselors so many times, wondering is there any hope that tomorrow can be different. I thought, well, of course you expect that. Chicago is the land of Al Capone. They, of course, are going to have problems in a place like that. But that's maybe why I ran to Pasadena, California. (laughs) But you know what I find here? The same thing. That, That we people in this imperfect world, we hit places where we wonder, can it be different? Can it be different? Those people who are drowning and the the floodwaters are coming all around us, you almost have to envision that all of us are because the Bible portrays us that way. We've all fallen short and so we're all in trouble. What happens is a drowning person can't save another drowning person. What do we need? We need somebody who is not drowning in in a safe place to come and pull us out, right? Right? We need somebody else to help rescue us. And that's what John is saying here. Someone who made all of this, who was already, who's not confined by the limitations that you and I have, has come into this world. And he offers us hope. If you have come and you have faced addictions, if you have children in your home or a spouse in your home that keeps getting into the same mess... And you wonder, is there any way out? Is there any way that tomorrow can be different? Because the patterns of this world just keep trapping us. John is saying, the one who is eternal, who is outside, who is not drowning, has come. And if you will trust him, you can begin to find the help and the hope that can transform your world. I already told you, when I read this book, I just feel John saying this deeply. I can tell you this because he's changed my life. And I need to introduce you to him because he and he alone is eternal. 
and can offer you hope. Which brings me to the third lesson. He is the word. He is eternal. And when you get a little bit farther on, he just flat out says it. He is God himself. In the beginning was the word. Okay, this word was with God. We know that because God spoke and it happened. But John, Jewish man, monotheist, only one God that he was, says this word was God. I'm telling you, these are remarkable words. We've heard them so often that they they don't penetrate us nearly enough. These are remarkable words, even made more remarkable, because it was a first century Jewish man who spoke them. You know, the early Jews were the early strong-minded monotheists. You know what I mean by that phrase, don't you? Only one God. The other people in there were the Greeks and the Romans. They thought there were all sorts of gods out there. But there's only one God. And yet, John is saying, no one has ever seen God at any time, the Father, but God makes him known. And this one is God. That's what he's saying. I'm going to stop for just a second. Because I am guessing that sometimes you've had folks come and knock on your door and tell you, no, the Bible doesn't teach that Jesus was God. And we'll even pull out a different version of this Bible that will say that Jesus was a God. And they'll try to argue. You know, do you know what I'm talking about? Is this foreign to you? I don't think that I can talk about this text, at least without talking about that. They will tell you if you look at the real grammar of the Greek, it will tell you that Jesus is a God and English teachers because they'll say there's no article that is there. Without me doing a grammar lesson, because I don't think you want me to do that, though I'd like to do that. But without me doing a grammar lesson, may I simply tell you that what the scripture is saying is that Jesus was God. The, the grammar does not call for Jesus was a God. And if you ever have someone do that, email me and I will indeed take time to answer that one and tell you why it is Jesus was God. But beyond anything else, can you imagine A first century Jewish man who believed in one God saying that Jesus was a God. What kind of other God would he have been? He's not saying that Jesus is some sort of false God, but he didn't believe in some sort of lesser gods. That is not what he is saying. He's not saying that Jesus was a God. He's also not saying that Jesus was the God, not that Jesus was exactly the same as the father. He's trying to find a way to communicate a truth That God's people have always held on to. There is one God who has always existed in relationship. Father, Son, and when you get to John 14, Holy Spirit. And can you feel the awe of this? If, If John were to lead this Advent season instead of your pastor, this is what he would want you to send. This one who was God, who spoke and things came into being, came into this world. In fact, a little bit later, you'll find him. I just, it's almost, he he says, we saw him. Do you feel that? We saw him. We saw the glory of the one and only son of God who was full of grace and truth. They didn't see all the glory. But they saw enough to fall on their knees and to believe in him. And that's what I want us all to do this Christmas season. Remember, I started by saying I'm concerned about 
two groups. Let me close by giving a, a, a brief message to each one of those groups. First of all, my message to those who are relatively new to the life of a church. Um, you come in, you hear a message like this and say, I can't, I can't grasp all of that. I'll only tell you, nor can I. And nor can anybody else. You know what I find about people who start attending a church? They come into church and they look around them. And I say, turn to the Gospel of John. And everybody, quick, 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 goes right there to the Gospel of John. And they say, how do I, where's the index to this thing? And they look, you look around. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You look around at all of us. And you think all of these very smart, perfect people. And you think um, those halos that all of them have on their head. I can never become like that. I'm dazzled by it. I just want to tell you together with all the rest of us, don't be so dazzled. Don't be so dazzled. There's so much that we can learn simply by coming and worshiping together often by pulling out God's word. And the more you come, the more that will become a part of you. But if you don't grasp everything now, let me tell you, God is patient. God is patient. And, and children can sense enough of the truth of this to believe it. And as you come to church today, and as I tell you, you can know God if you will entrust your sins to Jesus and allow him to take them away. And if you entrust your life to him, you can know him deep inside of you. If you say, that's what I long for, then I call you to believe and to begin that wonderful process of growing to know God year by year by year as being more than you could ever have imagined. I simply want you to know that all of us in a church like this, we're all still in this growing learning process. And learning about Jesus is a li- don't you think it's a lifelong adventure? I'm so thankful to be able to be involved in it in all of your lives. It's a lifelong adventure. And as you learn, I pray that you will learn to trust him, to know him, and to love him. That's my longing for that first group. So that when you hear that, here comes Santa Claus song, you'll say, that's not quite it. It's much bigger and better than that. It is my Lord who has come. All right. To the second group. To those of us who have heard it before. I've just thought about John. What does an old man have to say to us about an old message in the Bible? And especially to those of us who have heard it so often before. You know what he says to us? You don't know it all yet. <laughs> there, there is still more about Jesus for us to know and, and experience. Don't, don't become encrusted. Come each time you come into church with a longing to see God as you've never seen him before. The moment we think that we've grasped it all, we, have it, we can just write it all down in 15 or 20 sentences. Then we have failed to grow. I just long for us that we will never lose the wonder. Our Savior is the eternal God. Can, can you believe it? The one and only Son of God, who's made God known to us, who's brought our lives together, and is in this process of recreating us. And this Advent season, we're going to be celebrating that. To us all, I could never say it better than John did. It's so profound. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. And this Word who was and is God came for us.
Again, as John begins his Christmas story, I just feel this so deeply. Saying, he changed me. He can and will change you. And as you leave this worship center, he has given you a message to carry to the entire world. And let me tell you that year by year by year, as you grow to know him more, you will find that he is bigger. Not because he is, but because you and I are growing to know that this is the one who has come. Full of grace and truth. Oh, come. Let us adore him. Christ the Lord. To his glory. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, now take this powerful word. Take it deep into our beings so that those who have never trusted Christ may know it's true and that this may be their day of salvation and that the rest of us may grow to love you more than ever before, that our lives may bring glory to you. Because of Jesus, we pray.